The year is 2006, and our country is taking a storm by a book and movie released that promises that if you follow a certain way of being, you will get the happiness, health, and prosperity you've always longed for. This book called The Secret was uh, adhered to and proclaimed by gurus from Oprah and beyond. And the idea is if you have enough positive thinking, if you expel the negative and only have the positive, that you will be able to manifest your deepest desires. You have within you the ability, this would say, to manifest power and majesty and significance. Now, in the last 15 years, this same idea has taken many forms, but it even predates the last 15 years. There's always been an insatiable appetite within humanity to thinking that there's something more than what is right now. That if that I was able to grasp or gain whatever that is, then I will be able to live that life that I've always desired. But brothers and sisters, what if that thing is actually already something you have within you? Brothers and sisters, what if instead of walking in that and expecting it to lead you to happiness and significance and prosperity, what if that leads you to humility, to self-sacrifice, into unity with others? Paul, in our passage today, is addressing a spiritual elitism of his day. And in doing so, he brings us down to the truth that those who are in Christ have been given the mind of Christ by the Spirit. Now, walking in this leads to a unified, humble, self-sacrificing life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in the middle of a series called The Future Present, which is Paul establishing the church to live now in light of Jesus's future kingdom. This city of Corinth that he planted this church in Acts chapter 18, he is now in correspondence and helping them understand and to think with the end in mind, but as if the end is actually present because of the gospel it actually is. He's in this section that's focusing on the unity of the church. Um, there are some that are wanting uh, and drawn to different style of communication differences. So uh, between him and Apollos or Caiaphas or some even say they're of the party of Christ, and there is this division taking place because some people are walking in the wisdom of the world, which means that the, the rhetorical skills or the ability for somebody to communicate is what should be the main thing that draws you. And Paul's saying, no, that should be Jesus. And that wisdom that they were fighting over or uh, the wisdom of this age is actually turned upside down 
Because the wisdom of God, it says in chapter 2, verse 2, is that Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what we talked about last week. And so now Paul continues his argument uh, and continues establishing the church to think about being unified as the body of Christ. And he does so by bringing us to this truth and the metaphor that the Spirit of God gives us this mind of Christ, it says in verse 16. And if we live out that truth, we will be able to have a life that He, the Creator God, has called us to. And so I want to begin by reading uh, this passage starting in verse um, 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, Paul says, have the mind of Christ. And so what Paul's doing, he's building on his argument. He's saying, hey, we don't live according to the wisdom of the world. We live according to the wisdom of God that's ultimately revealed in power and by the Spirit in Jesus Christ in Him crucified. And so he's wanting them to start to think differently than the wisdom of this age or in line with the rulers of this world. And so he does a few things. And the first thing he wants them to do, he wants them to see that we need the Spirit in order to walk in unity. What Paul is doing, he's saying, hey, you want the mind of Christ. You want something that's beyond yourself. But you cannot get the mind of Christ apart from the Spirit of Jesus. And the Spirit of Jesus is not given Unless, chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus Christ and him crucified. For Paul, this always goes back to the gospel. You don't get unity apart from the Spirit. You don't get the Spirit apart from the cross. And so we now, Paul says, who have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, have been given the Spirit who is from God. Verse 12, we've not received the Spirit of the world. We have received um, the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given from God. And then verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. What I find amazing about this is you have a church that's riddled with division. They are riddled with immorality 
as we're going to uh, discover. You have people that are selfishly um, ambitious, only thinking about their own personal freedoms and re- disregarding others. You have a church that has groups of people getting drunk while other people are working, and that's supposed to be their communion meal. You have groups of people uh, that are have an elitism to them that uh, thinks that uh, their spiritual gifts are more significant than one another, and all these things that we're going to talk about. And yet, Paul still says, we have the Spirit who is from God. We have the mind of Christ. It's amazing that the gospel, what Jesus does, he saves those, and we need the Spirit of God to know the depths of God, which we need the Spirit of God to know the wisdom of God. We need the Spirit of God to point us to Jesus. You and I would not believe in the gospel if it were not the Spirit who awakened our hearts to the uh, belief of that. Yes, we need to proclaim, but it is ultimately the Spirit of God who leads people and brings people to a place where they can place their faith in Him. That is um, absolutely essential. And it's the same Spirit who not only brings us to faith, but it's the same Spirit that brings us to unity. We are to maintain the unity and the bond of peace, Paul says elsewhere. And it's this mind of Christ that we are, if we live in line with it, we are to have. So their actions and the way that they were living as a church did not give them the mind. It was the grace of God that gave them the mind of Christ. It was the Spirit of God who empowered that. Now they, though, were not walking in it. They had possession of it. They were given it by God. But we see in chapter 3 that they were infants in Christ. They were still children, but they were babies. Paul wanted to give them more. But because of their actions, their actions showed, their jealousy and strife, that they were not utilizing the mind of Christ that was available to them. Yes, they were saved by grace. Yes, the Spirit had indwelt them. Yes, the Spirit had saved them and given them the mind. But they were not utilizing it well. Now, the question is why. I believe this is why Paul, secondly, addresses the spiritual elitism that ultimately kills unity. Within this group of people, there are those that think they are more significant than others. That think whether it's based on their gifts their skills, their desires, the way their status in life, their calling, as it says in chapter 1, their socioeconomic, whatever it may be, in the Corinthian church, there was a spiritual elitism within the church that killed the unity that was available to them because of what Jesus has done for them. Now, for us in our day, that spiritual elitism could look a lot different. Um, for some... It's biblical knowledge. I, this could be the thing, I know the Bible more, so therefore I am a more elite Christian than you. We can use the word of God to infuse our spiritual snobbery. It could be spiritual quote-unquote power. 
the ability for the uh, charismatic gifts amongst us or your ability to be attuned to the Spirit and for God to work powerfully in your way, that can produce in certain circles within the Christian faith a snobbery that says, if you don't have this, then you must not be as loved by God or empowered by God as I am. It, it could be corporately, oh, you know what, we're part of a church plant and you are just part of this old dying church. We have it right and you are doing it wrong. It, it could That same corporate snobbery could come from, oh, we're a missional church, you're an attractional church. Or... Um, oh, you do it this way, but we do it this way. There's a, a elitism that comes. And brothers and sisters, like that is something that the scriptures speak against. That is an elitism. For me, uh, oftentimes, it, in my story, it's come from my um, proudness and my love of what I consider to be my gifts and my calling. Like, oh, well... My gifts are, at least I don't have that gift because, whoa, I don't want that one. Or at least I'm called to this because obviously this calling in life that I have been given is much more important than all those. And that creates this elitism. That creates this division that the Spirit of God and the mind of Christ is obviously not at work when those thoughts are most prevalent. The spiritual elitism, snobbery, if you will, that Paul was having to deal with was causing division. And what ultimately he needed to do is say, no, you have the mind of Christ. You have the Spirit of God. And this Spirit of God ultimately points us to Jesus. And this is where Paul goes here and he goes elsewhere, is that Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to um, be led by the Spirit and possess His mind. Paul, and so what was in the mind of Jesus as He lived? This is what he, uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, i.e. mind of Christ, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by, what does he say? Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Jesus did this perfectly. How can you know that you are living empowered by the Spirit and utilizing the mind of Christ that was given to you at your spiritual birth. First of all, you will, um, this will lead you to a desire for community life over individual life. This is a not me, but a we thinking. What, <clears throat> what Paul is leading this to is saying, hey, if you have the mind of Christ, you will not have jealousy or strife among you. Your lack of unity is an indication that you are not living by the Spirit and utilizing the mind of Christ that is at your disposal. 
So living by the Spirit in the mind of Christ will lead to a focus on a corporate community life. What is not what is in it for me, but what is in it for us? Not only how is the God leading me, but how is God leading us? It's a leaning into the church. It's a leaning into the brothers and sisters in Christ. But not only is it a leading into that, it's going. It's also a death to selfish ambition. That's what he says in Philippians 1. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, conce- or conceit. This is not thinking about me. This is thinking, this is a thinking about you. So a death to selfish ambition is wanting to know what I'm going to get out of it. What what am I going to do? How is this going to help me? But according to this passage, Paul is saying that if you're being led by the Spirit of God, that's going to lead you to not think about yourself more, but think about yourself less, and to think about others as more significant than yourself. So having the Spirit of Christ and having the mind of Christ leads to a a focus on community life. It leads to a death of selfish ambition. It leads to humility that's what it says here, but in humility count others. That's the ultimate example of Jesus. He himself um, had the ultimate position of power. He is the creator God. And what did he do? He considered, he emptied himself or he laid down some of his divine rights. He took on the form of a servant and he was being born in the human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 verse 8. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is that? Jesus Christ and him crucified the wisdom and power of God. Paul is saying that this will lead to me thinking not about my own significance, but how can I live a life of service to you? And lastly, this will be, this leads to a giving to others. It's not about what's mine. This is a thinking about what's ours. You see this in the early church in Acts, how they didn't consider anything of their own to be theirs, but they laid it down at the apostles' feet. They, they gave to those who were in need. Uh, we, I love the story of um, when within our church family, people need uh, tools to borrow. They're working on projects, whatever it may be. And instead of going and buying another one, we have a brother and sister in Christ being able to say, you know what? I have that. What's mine is yours. You can use it as often as you want. Like that's a beautiful picture of the spirit of Christ that leads to unity, a spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ that leads us to this. And it all is, um, comes out of verse, uh, Philippians 2 verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And what did that mind lead Jesus to? Not his own ambition. He emptied himself. It didn't lead him to um, his own significance. It led him to the cross. It didn't lead him to pride. It led him to humility. And it, it wasn't so that he could gain. It was so that he could give. The spirit that we have been given, the mind of Christ that we have been given, is found in what Jesus has done for you and me. He is the perfect picture of thinking about 
um, and being led by the Spirit, of having the mind that leads to life. So if you're looking to manifest something for your own desires, brothers and sisters, the gospel leads us to something even more profound than that. It leads us to be part of a community where it's not just about me, it's about us. Where it's not about what I want and how I'm going to gain status and significance, but thinking about how we as brothers and sisters can experience God in our midst. Of humility, of being one with one another and giving to the others. The Spirit of God, Christ, the Spirit gives us the mind of Christ. And here's what Paul is saying. If you don't live by the Spirit, if you aren't exercising the mind of Christ that is available to you, that is the indication that you will not be unified. We'll say it another way. You're not unified. You're not united. You're not in it for one another. You're not leaning in. That's an indication that you're not being led by the Spirit of God and using the mind of Christ. So, ask yourselves these questions. Are you thinking about me or are you thinking about us as the body of Christ? What's in it for you or is it what's in it for us? Are you thinking of your missional community, your house-to-house gathering, or even the church at large to, to build yourself up? Or are you looking at to build others up? Are you thinking that you, are, do you have a, a place of spiritual elitism in your own heart? That you think you are more, your gifts are more important than others? Or are you looking to gain rather than give? Brothers and sisters, the gospel leads us to repentance. As we are in the season of Lent, remembering daily practice of repentance, this is an opportunity to say when we're not living in line with the mind of Christ, when we're not living empowered by the Spirit. Repentance is being able to turn back to that and saying, Father, forgive me. Thank you that you have forgiven me because of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And now I want to go back to how you've called me and empowered me to live. Father, forgive us of our elitism. Forgive us of our snobbery. Forgive us of the times when we look to our own sus what we want as opposed to what other people want. This is what Jesus himself did. This is what he's given the spirit for us to do. And this is the way that we can actually live the life that we've called. One that's close to God, that's in vulnerable relationships with one another. And that is living in the future present. Because all these things will absolutely be true when Jesus returns and completely renews and restores all of creation, including us. That will be true. And now you and I, by God's Spirit, have the invitation and the empowerment to live that out now. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have the mind of Christ, that we've been given the Spirit of God. And so I pray that we will not be doing things for our own selfish ambitions, for our own significance, or for our own stuff. But God, we will be focusing on the church and how you're building us up together. That we will um, get, continue to die towards our selfish ambition. We will continue to grow in humility. We will continue to focus on giving to others rather than gaining and in doing so, we will be 
exercising the mind of Christ that you've given us, that the Spirit has awoken in us and that is empowering us to live. We need you, Spirit. Help us, we pray, for the glory of God and in the name of Jesus. Amen.